Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Good morning and welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you here on a Tuesday as we talk the world of sports. Taking up until 1 o'clock this afternoon and a busy program. Well, as you can hear as we begin the show today, Ken Miller, he is getting ready to hop on a bird and make his way to Las Vegas. We'll be making our way out to Circa shows there Thursday and Friday. Ken, a couple of early days, though, out there and uh, hanging out with his son for a couple of days before we'll do our shows live from Stadium Swim at Circa. Looking forward to that on Thursday and Friday. We'll have you covered out there as we'll be signing up for their big football contest, Circa Survivor and Circa Millions. And we'll talk more about that in the coming days ahead. In fact, if you're going out there with us, if you're one of the people that took advantage of the offer, 30% off your room at Circa throughout this upcoming weekend, Make sure to hit us up on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter or X, depending on which side you're uh, calling this thing at this point in time. Our show account at Miller and Condon. And you can also find me at Trent Condon. Make sure to hit us up. We got a couple of VIP experiences for you if you're going out there with us. And if you're heading out there anytime over the next month, an opportunity for you to sign up for the football contest, Circa Survivor and Circa Million. In fact, got some theories going to run past you here as we open things up. Coming up today on the BMW Des Moines guest list, don't worry, you don't have to listen to me just drawn on and on all day long. We got you covered with a myriad of great guests. We'll kick things off at the bottom of the hour. Matt Postens will stop by from Heartland College Sports, the latest in the Big 12. And now that the dust has settled, at 16. Looks like there is no path forward in the Big 12 for any other expansion. They're happy at 16. Sorry, Cal. Sorry, Stanford. Oregon State, Washington State. They're happy with their 16. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. And yes, we got to get ready for football season. You know, this last couple of weeks is really throwing us off what we normally do at this time of year, getting ready for the football season. We'll talk plenty of that. Also, Matt Postens, he is their lead basketball writer over there. Do want to talk about the impact of Big 12 basketball with the latest expansion news. We'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. Then in its daily spot here throughout training camp, it is the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mitch Holtis will stop in. At 11.50, Sky Moore is in the spotlight today. Some audio from Sky Moore as we talk Kansas City Chiefs football as we do each and every day here at 11.50 during training camp with the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. 12 o'clock hour begins with David Eichold from 24-7 Sports. We'll talk Iowa football with him. Also, what's happening across the pond as the men's and women's team are playing over there. We'll do that with David Eichold here at 12.05. Then at 12.30, a little baseball talk as we will talk with Tommy Birch from the Des Moines Register. Throw it around with some baseball with Birchie coming up at 12.30. That's what we have for you today on the BMW of Des Moines guest list. And we kick things off here today with a little baseball and a story that is maybe one of the most baffling stories that I can remember as it pertains to the sports media piece. Now, we've just gone through this, right, with conference expansion, and ultimately that is all about what has gone on in the world of sports and the television networks, what they're doing, dictating who they want in these conferences, trying to get the good games, trying to get those $4 million, or $4 million uh, 
watched games out there. That's what they're looking for more than anything. And that's why you got Oregon, Ohio State. That's why you're going to get Washington, Michigan, trying to get those big games. USC, Penn State. Those are the ones that get over 4 million viewers. And that's what they are searching for. And that's why Fox has pulled the purse strings as they have. That's why ESPN did the same with Oklahoma and Texas, getting them to the SEC. That's ultimately what this is all about. And yet we have that going on. And here is Kevin Brown. Now, I've heard Kevin Brown from time to time call games, and he's a younger guy, but awful announcing, who each and every year puts out their list of the best broadcasters out there, baseball broadcasters. They came in 10th. A well-liked guy. Kevin Brown made some comments about the record against the Tampa Bay Rays going into their season finale June, July 23rd. He, after that series, did radio for a series, and then since then... He has been nowhere to be found. And it was incredible last night to see the number of play-by-play broadcasters either during their own broadcast or on social media that were stepping up for Kevin Brown. He said something so nondescript and to get suspended. Now, with this organization, the Orioles have been one of the best stories in baseball, if not the best story in baseball. I mean, them and the Rangers, I think, would be the two teams that you would talk about. We thought both those teams had a chance. Texas went out and spent. Baltimore took the big step forward a year ago. We saw both those teams, and they've been great. And they both maintained first place in each of their divisions. But Baltimore, as great as the story is, they still have an owner that is not well-liked. They still have an owner that has done a lot of bad things. And if you go back to Peter Angelos and what he did Uh, throughout his tenure, and making it difficult for the Expos to ultimately make their way to D.C. because of the proximity between those two cities and the fan bases and the overlap that there was going to be and the long, protracted fight that continued on with that. You also had losing one of the best voices in all of baseball, and John Miller. Now, for younger people, you might remember John Miller doing Sunday Night Baseball for a number of years and a great, great voice. You remember John Miller also doing San Francisco Giant games for a number of years, but he was with the Orioles and a two-year fight with the owner and the TV broadcaster. Well, this, this goes to another level, and this is the comments that were made that ultimately made the Baltimore Orioles play-by-play broadcaster, Kevin Brown, this is what got him suspended. Listen to this. This got him suspended, and here we are a couple weeks later, And we haven't seen him on TV. This has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in. But the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three. And they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017. The last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the Trop this year after winning three of 18. The previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place. That's what he said. That's it. Stating facts. This was not an opinion piece. This was not, boy, we suck against Tampa. That's not what this is. This is Kevin Brown stating facts. And when you work with something like Angelos, 
Apparently, that is a hill too far. Now, when he saw a little, heard the little uh, porn music uh, tap in there, they put up the graphic. So also the graphics team, the producers, the people involved in the broadcast also put this up. And the little Chiron said this, last 16 series against Tampa in Tropicana, 0-15-1, 15 straight series losses before this season. Last series win in 2017. This season, three wins in five games from 2020 to 22, three total wins in 21 games. These are all facts. And that leads to a suspension. Rough look. Rough look for the Baltimore Orioles. And what should be one of the best stories in baseball is not that because of a story like this. Speaking of baseball, last night it finally slowed down for the Cubs as they fell at the hands of the Mets. Just a rough start from Drew Smiley. Had the rain delay in there. It was not a pretty one. Three in the first inning and they were off and cruising. Single was pretty solid as well for the Mets in that one. My twins, who I was betting against yesterday, they got off the schneid against a left-hander. Now, Joey Wentz is not good. He came into the game last night with a 2-9 and record. Now 2-10 and after last night's debacle. Three innings pitched, 10 hits, 8 runs, 8 earned, 2 strikeouts in the game as the Twins finally figured out how to hit a lefty for one time. And we'll see if they can continue. The Twins now with a 5-game winning streak. You think that's a big deal, their first place team. Of course they should have a 5-game winning streak. That's their first of the year. And that shows you also the inconsistency of this Twins team. That's where we are at this point in time as uh, we take a look around here at the Central Races. And going into today, the Brewers maintain a one-and-a-half game lead over the Reds. The Cubs two-and-a-half games back. The Twins now are up five-and-a-half games in the American League Central. The Cubs right now a game back of the wild card after the Reds win yesterday. They sit a game back of getting into the playoffs and uh, the race in the American League, still Toronto with a three-game lead over Seattle for the final wild card spot. Continuing here today, so mention conference expansion, realignment, consolidation as the Pac-12 is no more, the Pac-9 for a couple of days, and now down to the Pac-4. And you feel terribly for Washington State and Oregon State, and to a lesser degree, Stanford and Cal, and maybe it's just, I don't know, the eggheads that bother me. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I don't feel as badly for them as I do for the Beaver fans and the Cougar fans and what they're going through and what their future is. The speculation that the ACC is making calls, and they are at this point in time, seeing if it would make sense to add two more teams or maybe even add all four. I think the likelihood is incredibly low, but with Duke, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Virginia, a couple of great private institutions and a couple of the best public institutions in the country. Would it make sense to bring in Stanford and Cal for not just the academic side of it, but can you make it work? And most importantly, can you get more money out of that? Opening up a new window, having four or five games a year that are going to be played in that late window. Does that make sense for ESPN? Is that something that they could turn to and go that direction? Remember the Mountain West was now kind of sitting alone with that late window their contract, their late-night contract, is with CBS Sports Network. So ESPN still has that window open. Would that make sense for them? Would that be enough for them to kick in to add to the rights that are in place for the ACC? That is something that certainly they're considering. Yes, the travel is going to be a struggle. We know that across the board. But is that something that makes sense? And maybe only as a football-only member or football and basketball only, and you go that direction and then find those schools, Cal and Stanford, and they make the decision for the other sports to join the WCC, the Mountain West, whatever it turns out to be. But for the major sports, 
you go that direction. Stanford, they had it running, right? David Shaw and Hawkeye fans, we know that incredibly well with Christian McCaffrey in the Rose Bowl. Harbaugh before that, that was a good football team. Cal, it's been a while. It's been a while since Aaron Rodgers was out there, Marshawn Lynch, and on and on and on with those Cal teams. But that is something that is still being looked at. But i got to go a different direction with you today. And I want to talk about the hoop side. And I think anybody that has listened throughout the years understands my love of college basketball. It's my favorite sport. College football second, but there is a pretty big gap. College basketball, it doesn't matter. I can flip on a Temple-Rhode Island game in the middle of December, and I'm going to be happy. It doesn't matter the teams. It just matters about the sport. I love the sport. And it all this is about football. All this realignment, all this is about football. It's about that TV money. And though people like Brett Yormark believe that basketball is leaving money on the table, we know that is the case as it pertains to women's basketball and some of the other Olympic sports that the NCAA has left money on the table by not negotiating those on their own individual. That aside, these are about football. And upwards of 80 to 85% of the TV money is about football. So that's what this conversation is about. But because I love college basketball so much, I want to find a way to make this make sense. And you look at the Big 12 now, the best basketball conference in the country. It's been that way for a decade. Maybe there's a year or two during that decade that it wasn't, but for the most part, at minimum, eight of the last 10 years, this has been the best basketball league in the country. They have separated themselves from the ACC, from the Big Ten, certainly from the SEC. This is the power brand in college hoops. Well, now with 16 teams, now very simply, a 16-team bracket works very well when you get to the conference tournament, right? And you'll play... 18 games, you stay with that path? Do you bump it up to 20, get more home and homes, being able to see more teams more often? That's going to be terrible the year that we don't get Iowa State-Kansas, like this year, where it's just going to be a single play. That's not good. It's going to be bad for the league if we have the year where Arizona and Kansas don't play home and home. So you get more of that if you go to 20. That's not what I'm worried about, though. It's about the conference tournament. And this was one of those half-baked ideas that I came up on the fly yesterday as Ken and I were talking. And what this is going to do for the conference tournament in Kansas City, we'll move around a little bit more. That's still to be seen. But in KC, for the foreseeable future, a 16-team tournament. Well, that means Kansas, Baylor, Iowa State, whoever your top seeds are, you're going to have to win four games in four days to win the conference tournament. That's not good. We've seen what that has done to teams early in the NCAA tournament. You don't want to do that. There's a reason these buys are in place. There's a reason when he had the bloated Big East, why they didn't have that in place. Now, what you can do is add another series of games and have the lower seeds have to play an extra game to get there and have the buys for the top four seeds to advance on, at least to the quarterfinals, and you do it that way. You can do that, and it still works. The Big East back in the day when they were huge, they've done it before. We've seen the ACC do the same. You got the 10 and 15 seeds play in the opening round, the one 11 versus the 14 and the 12 versus the 13. You can do that, and you can do the same thing here. And The 9 would play the 16 in this scenario. You can do that, and it's fine. But this idea of these mini tournaments, it's something that really has got my juices flowing. I, I really like this idea. So in this scenario, I took out Texas and Oklahoma. 
brought in the four new schools that are coming in this season, along with the Pac-12 schools that will be joining next season. So you're a 16-team league. And I went to just a date right after the Super Bowl, where what you're going to do is you're going to create these mini brackets. And these will be played the final weekend in the past of the regular season. Now, my initial idea was to have them neutral sites. Scott Docterman, when I brought up the idea to him yesterday, I thought brought up a better point. Well, how about you have these be at a host site? You earn a number one seed. You're one of the top four seeds in these little mini brackets. You get to host. So this is what it would have looked at like last year. This comes out the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. And yes, there will be changes. There will be different looks that come out of this. But at that point in time, the Big 12 committee, if you will, they come together and this is going to be your little mini brackets. So last year, Houston, the one seed in theirs, they host. Oklahoma State, TCU, and Central Florida. Those are the seeds two through four. First round, Houston against UCF. Oklahoma State against TCU. The winners play for a championship to advance on then to your final four. That is going to be played in Kansas City. You have that. Your other ones, Arizona the one seed. West Virginia the two, K-State the three, Arizona State the four. Iowa State at that time would have been a number one seed if we're playing this out from a year ago. Baylor the two, Utah the three, and Colorado the four. And the other one, Kansas the one, Cincinnati, Texas Tech, and BYU. So you play these little mini tournaments, and then the four remaining teams advance on. Now, you could also have a consolation game if you wanted for those teams that lose in the first round of this mini tournament. Their season would be over unless you play that third place game. And think of how many bubble games that could generate. How many times that that one little extra gets you going. You could definitely do that. Or when you're playing your final four, you could do it a different direction. You could say even if you don't win this mini tournament, you can still get in. You can still get in and you have an eight-team tournament in Kansas City to wrap up your season. I think this is an idea that could definitely work. I think it would generate excitement in a time where college basketball is really looking for it. Coming off the hangover that is the end of the NFL season, trying to get national media excited about your sport, this would make a ton of sense. Now for the Big Ten, you do something very similar. Because you don't want an 18-team conference tournament. And I don't think you want to leave teams at home either. Everybody has a chance to get in, right? To make that incredible run, to make a deep run. We saw Ohio State win a couple of games a year ago. Think back to the disappointing season season for Reggie Evans and Luke Recker, their final year. And they got hot in the conference tournament and ultimately lost to Ohio State in the championship game. Those kind of things can happen. Illinois did the same when, uh, what was it, Corey Bradford and company. They were very young before they built themselves into an NCAA tournament team. You want to give that opportunity to these teams. Well, you got a couple extras. This is the way you play it out, though. On that final Friday of the regular season, you have two 4-5 matchups in these little pots. Michigan against Nebraska, Northwestern against Wisconsin. All right, so you play that. And then you play into your main 1-4-2 versus 3. So last year, one of the little groupings here would have been Purdue. The winner of the Michigan-Nebraska game gets Purdue. At Purdue. And Michigan State plays Iowa. UCLA, Ohio State, USC, Northwestern, Wisconsin in the other. Indiana, the one seed in the third. Rutgers, Penn State, Oregon there. And then Illinois, Maryland, uh, and Northwestern uh, create the other one. So, in Minnesota, excuse me. So, that's what you would have in this scenario. I think it's great. And I don't know if there is some kind of, I don't know, carrot that you can dangle. Say you're a team that comes out of nowhere. Have a disappointing year, but you, you figure it out. You're going to the Final Four of your conference tournament. 
You're making a way to Chicago or Indianapolis. You're doing that. However, they're still 14 and 16. You're not going to be an NCAA tournament team unless you win the two remaining games and get the automatic bid. Can you put, I don't know, the NIT? Can you do something like that? That would have to be something that you have to go to the NCAA, but there are things that can be done. I think it would create a ton of excitement. It is certainly more tenable than trying to get 16 or even 18 teams to a singular site to play a conference tournament. A conference tournament that might stretch out over six, seven days. You don't want to do that either. This is an idea I think that can work for both the new bloated Big Ten and the Big 12. This is something that would make a ton of sense. That would be something that I think would be great for the fans and something that would generate a lot of excitement for a sport that, frankly, has been forgotten by a huge portion. What's more exciting for you? This little mini tournament at the end of the regular season or your final game against Nebraska? What's more exciting to you, Hawkeye fans? I don't think there's any doubt about it. I don't think that this would be anything that people could poke many holes in. If you can, well, hit me up. Hit me up on Twitter, at Trent Condon. If you have any holes in this one, I think it's something that'll be a lot of fun, something that would create a lot of interest for college basketball. Speaking of college basketball, we'll talk about that in football coming up. Matt Postens will join us. We're talking Big 12 with him. Matt Postens from Heartland College Sports. Pete Mundo has done a great job of building that site up over the last decade. Remember having Pete on years and years ago and what he has turned that into today. You got the new teams coming in. Arizona State, the comments from their athletic director, what we've seen obviously from their administration. Kicking and screaming to get to the Big 12. Well, now they're here. One place I'm going to go with Matt. What kept the Big 12 together? The hateful eight, the remaining eight. What kept them together? They were like-minded. They wanted the same things. And they worked together. Well, now you have two schools that are coming in, either from a fan base or from an administration side, that are not all kumbaya, right? You got Utah and that weirdo fan base that absolutely hates everything about the Big 12. Now, I don't know who made Utah this great academic institution that has to thumb their nose down at the Big 12. They threw you a lifeline. Where are you going to be without them? Back in the Mountain West? Utah trying to go independent? Come on. And yet, this fan base is up in arms about it. Is this going to continue to add a little bit of a fracture? And that's always also been the case when you're talking about these mega leagues. You go back in history and you look at the reason that the WAC disintegrated when it expanded up to 16 teams. It was because of dissension. What's happened in the Big 12? Why is the Big 12 we know it today not the Big 12 that started in the mid-90s? Because of dissension. Just a concern. Concerned with what we've seen from Utah, what we've heard from Arizona State. We'll talk about that more coming up here. Matt Postens will join us, Heartland College Sports. Again, Mitch Holtis will join us later in the hour at about 11.50. We will have Sky Moore audio for you, the second-year wide receiver for the Chiefs. David Eicholt in Hour 2 talking Hawkeyes and Tommy Birch on baseball at 12.30. We are underway on a Tuesday. Thanks for joining me as we take you up until 1. It's Miller and Condon. On what?
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 11.30 on a Tuesday. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO. Minus the Miller the next couple of days as he's on his way to Vegas. I'll be out there on Thursday and our show will come to you live from Stadium Swim on Thursday and Friday here on KXNO. Right now we go south down to Texas and I think still the epicenter of the Big 12 joining us from Heartland College Sports. He is Matt Postens. Matt, as always, appreciate your time. How are you today? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? Doing well. already been in Vegas. <laughs> yes, back to Vegas again. Well, you know. Got to do those things from time to time, and going out there, signing up for the football contest for Circa, so always look forward to that trip, and it's going to be fun. Some year we'll have to get you guys out there, you and Mundo and Duke and the whole crew. What do you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I think Derek would... I think we'd probably lose Derek, but you know, otherwise, (laughs) I think we'd be in great shape. (laughs) Absolutely. Well... Got a lot to get to you today, and as the dust has settled now on realignment, it looks like there is no path for any other expansion currently. We're not going to see Oregon State, Washington State, or Cal Stanford, or any combination of those four schools. They are happy at 16, and as we sit here today, could have they done any better? I mean, looking back at what Bob Bowlesby first inherited after Texas and Oklahoma departed to where we are today could it got much better than this for the Big 12? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think the only way it could have gotten any better just from an all-sports standpoint is if maybe they had you know, managed to snag Oregon and Washington at the last minute instead of, say, uh, you know, Arizona State and Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they grabbed probably the four best brands you could have grabbed on the Group of Five market when they expanded uh, two years ago. And now you grab um, four solid Pac-12 schools, all of which I think really fit into what the conference wants to do. Obviously, Colorado's got a long history with the Big A and the Big 12, but I think those three remaining schools are good fits with what the league is trying to accomplish You know, geographically, what they're trying to accomplish nationally. I think they're going to be good fits ultimately in football and basketball. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think they could have done much better unless they, you know, let's just say Notre Dame wanted to join the conference. Then they could have done a little better. That's about it. And, and we're talking about realistic scenarios here. One, it's not even a concern. It's just a thought at this time. 
we saw the comments from Arizona State's athletic director. We know that their school president did not want the Pac-12 to go away. He's kind of going there, kicking, screaming, as a lot of Arizona State people are. And then the Utah, and not from their administration, but just that fan base, and just how negatively they have looked at Utah. What kept the remaining members of the Big 12 together was being together, was being yeah. wanting the same things. In the past, what has hurt the Big 12? It has been that dissension that has been in there. With Utah and Arizona State of varying degrees having some dissension, how concerning is that? Um, you know, we'll see. I think with Arizona State, I think you have to understand uh, their their campus has a significant online presence, much like Central Florida's does. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got one of the biggest online campuses and one of the biggest campuses, period, in the country. Arizona State has a huge online presence, especially in the Los Angeles area. So for them, they were thinking, they were approaching it from an academic sense, although really I think you have to just kind of uncouple those two things at this point. The academics don't matter so much. They do they do matter, but they don't matter in the sense of, of, of conference affiliation. With Utah, I think it just had a lot to do with BYU. They just do not like each other at all, period, exclamation point, end of discussion. And the whole idea of them joining a conference with BYU, I think, just just kind of rubbed them the wrong way. I, I think I think Utah will bounce back quickly because I think they're very well set up to be competitive in this conference, especially from a football standpoint. I wouldn't mind seeing Arizona State get a new president that's maybe a little bit more on board with being in the Big 12. And as for Ray Anderson, he should be mandatorily obligated to go to Morgantown the first time the Sun Devils <laughs> play football there. I just I think it should just be a mandatory thing for him to do because game day in Morgantown is awesome. That is absolutely right. It would be so good. And it's probably going to ultimately play out like that. Like he's going to. Most of these guys understand, yes, I'm going to play good soldier. It was maybe a comment off the cuff or um, frustrations of, of everything that we wanted to keep disintegrating. Whatever it is, I think we're going to get yeah. to that point. He's probably ultimately going to have a great time in Morgantown. What about the structure and the return of divisions in football? We haven't seen divisions in the Big 12 in a long time, as it was for a long time a 10-team conference, and you didn't need them. What about the return of divisions? Are you a proponent of that? I don't know. I mean... You know, the SEC is, is eliminating their divisions once they go to 16 teams. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can structure it. You've got to think about the geography. You don't want to send, you know, schools like Arizona and Arizona State to Morgantown every year because, you know, obviously you want to try and limit their travel. Um, divisions could work. You know, I could also see a format where you play a nine-game a nine game schedule where maybe you have three protected rivalries. You play three teams. You know, to the west of you, three teams to the east of you. I, I think whatever schedule, whatever format they have to, they come up with, you have to find a way to make sure that everybody in the conference plays one another at least once every two or three years. This cannot be an SEC situation where Alabama and Georgia avoided each other for a decade because they weren't a protected rivalry and because of the rotation system within the two divisions. You've, you've got to ensure a system where all of these teams play each other at least twice at least once every two or three years, in order to ensure there's some competitive balance. I don't know if you can do that with divisions, because if it's two eight-team divisions, you're playing seven divisional games, and then you're playing two teams across in the other division. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, Kansas State and Iowa State aren't in the same division. Well, you don't want to play Farmageddon every other year. You want to play it every year. So I think with, with all the different potential rivalries in the conference, I think they're going to have to look at a format that's, that doesn't enlist divisions, and allows 
you know, teams to play each other on a regular basis. Makes a lot of sense. And just looking at the map, north-south divide, east-west divide, whatever it is, do you split up the Texas schools? Do you have them all in the same division? There's plenty of headaches that would come along with it. Matt Post is joining us from Heartland College Sports, talking a little Big 12 here as 16 teams will be part of the conference starting next season. There is one final go-around, though, with 14 teams. Matt, I didn't have an opportunity. I was on vacation uh, when you joined Ken a couple of times as things were blowing up and Colorado was joining. We were waiting for what was next. But going back to your time down there in Dallas, Big 12 football media days, what changed for you? What's a team that you were higher on walking out, and what was a team that you were lowing a lower on after you had your couple of days in Dallas there? Um, for, you know, as far as you know, higher on at UCF, um, I, I I really came away with you know just good feelings about where they are as a program. I don't I don't think we you know I've been tracking them over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Gus has done a really good job in the transfer portal. He's got a, a solid quarterback, but they've they've got a really ba- well balanced team uh, coming back this season. And I think they could be surprisingly competitive on the conference. Uh, as far as one team that I'm, you know, not real that I'm, that I'm a little lower on, it's probably Cincinnati. They they have more question marks than I expected. I mean, they have a brand new receiver room. Uh, they've got some really good talent coming back on the defensive side of the ball, but They've got a lot more question marks on offense than I thought they did going into media day. And I just, I'm not sold on Scott Satterfield necessarily being the answer there, you know, in the wake of Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin. Uh, so that's the team that I'm, I'm probably more, more down on after media days than I was going into media days. Over to some basketball with you. You're, of course, the head basketball writer over at Heartland College Sports. You follow the sport as well as anybody, and we know this league has been the best league for a decade going on longer than that now in college basketball, and it just accelerates with the addition of Arizona. BYU's had a whole lot of success. you got to go back a ways. Last time Utah was relevant, but this is also a program that played for a national championship in, well, at least I don't believe, too long ago. I guess that just shows that I'm getting old still as we go back to the 90s for that one. But you're adding these brands. You're adding basketball. You have cemented yourself as the basketball league in all of college sports. My question for you, I've I've come up with this theory about what to do with the conference tournament. Instead of making an unwieldy 16-team bracket in Kansas City, instead of doing that for the conference tournament, have mini tournaments the weekend before where you win this mini bracket of four teams, you advance on then to Kansas City for the final four. Is that something you like? Is something that maybe TV would get behind? Maybe you generate a little bit more excitement? You got five championship games in total as opposed to just one championship game. Is this a wackadamy crazy idea or something that you could get behind? It's interesting because, you know, you look, you think about a 16-team basketball tournament and i mean there there are a lot of different ways you can arrange it um i saw somebody arrange one the other day that was you know it took started tuesday ended saturday it seemed fairly you know reasonable it's kind of a, a kind of a ladder you know format mm-hmm. over five days I, I think one benefit to this potentially could be you know you you've got these new fan bases who are like I, the basketball tournaments in kansas city really yeah. I, first of all i would say give it a chance Mm-hmm. It's a really good time. It's a great tournament. It's one of the best tournaments around. And in Kansas City, you're the only show in town, so you get all the attention. But this could be an opportunity where you could, say, have a 
a pod in Vegas and a pod in New York and a pod in uh, Dallas and a pod in, you know, Des Moines or something like that and, and do it that way. And that could be kind of creative, kind of interesting. It would kind of share the wealth a little bit with these newer schools who are hoping to host the tournament at some point. Uh, I don't know what the – the thing that I would worry about would be the foot traffic for those pod terms. You know, would would they draw the way that the, the full tournament does in Kansas City? Um, you know, I think what could be, you know, just as interesting is maybe doing the same thing and doing it in Kansas City and having, you know, you know, pods that way uh, in KC. But it, it, it's an intriguing concept. I, I think the, the worry I would have would be travel, uh, you, know, you know, especially if, say, UCF were, you know, because you've got to do it by record. You can't do it by geography. You've got to. You got to have teams that have, you know, you got to bring some balance to it, which means UCF could be playing in a pod in Vegas, and, and Arizona State could be playing in a pod in in New York. Based on that, I think that would be the biggest hurdle would be the travel involved in that, especially on short notice. Another idea that I had with this is you could do it with the pods, and obviously with Rucker Park and what we saw with New York, that would definitely be one. Vegas, absolutely, that makes a whole lot of sense. Or the number one seeds, the four of them that it, that earn the number one seed, they get to host. And you come up with what these four mini brackets are going to be. You do it like the Tuesday after the Super Bowl when, all right, football's over. You're moving past that. You're looking for something. National media is looking for something. And you announce those at that time. You know, yeah, things will change, and one of these mini brackets might end up being more difficult by the time we get to March than what you initially do. But you do that. You know, I go back to when we used to have bracket busters, right, with the mid majors, and yeah. that announcement day. Now, you and I at the time was really good, but that was a huge day. That was a national day, and finding out that oh, Bucknell is making their way to you and I. That's going to be a really good game, and having those kind of things. Well, we're talking about mid majors. You do that with the Big Twelve in basketball. You find out oh, this is going to be this is going to be the bracket of death here, right? Well, when we hear about that in the World Cup, doing that a couple weeks before the end of the regular season and also giving time for the fan bases to know, yeah, we got to travel to Ames. We got to travel to Lawrence. We got to make our way to Lubbock. Whatever it turns out to be, you got to do that and also giving the fan bases a little bit of time. And you know, the host schools will be happy to get a couple extra games yeah. at home, too. That's true. And I think you also have to give teams a way to play their way into a different bracket, you know, maybe, maybe once the brackets come out, maybe you give them, uh, you know, three or four games to play their way into a different bracket bracket based on how well or how poorly they play. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's some, you know, even there's even some promotion and relegation you could do there that, that I find very interesting in soccer. I think it's the best thing about, you know, that game in particular, uh, over in Europe is that, you know, you can play your way up the ladder or you can play your way down the ladder. So that's another way of looking at it. It, it. It's interesting. And, you know, Brett Yormark is looking for, you know, innovative ideas that can create more attention for the league and more attention for basketball, especially, which he believes is an untapped resource. That could certainly be one way to do it. You got Yormark's number? You want me to call him up? Yeah, I, I, I don't have it, but maybe <laughs> I can get it. I can, I can get somebody's number for you. Well, if you put together the column, make sure you get full credit to Trent Conant. How about that? <laughs> Absolutely. You bet. <laughs> He's Matt Postens from Heartland College Sports. Always enjoy our conversations. Matt, appreciate it. I know it's been a busy time for you, and I know you got to get back to work. Thanks for giving us some time here today. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Matt Postens, Heartland College Sports. Find him on Twitter at Postens Postcard is where you can find him. And Heartland CS is where you can find Heartland College Sports as well on X slash Twitter.
Quick timeout. We come back on the other side. Change the conversation. Still football, but to the NFL. The voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. He's up next on the BMW Des Moines guest list as we take you up until 1. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Kind of back with you on a Tuesday. Miller and Connor continues on 106.3 KXNO. Solo for the next couple of days. Ken has, I believe, boarded his plane, making his way to Las Vegas a couple days early. Our shows will emanate live from Circa and Stadium Swim coming up on Thursday and Friday. We will talk on those days to the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, and he joins us right now. Mitch, as always, thanks for hopping on with us here today. How are things down in St. Joe? Uh, spectacular day. Weather's perfect. A little warmer today, so we started getting back toward uh, the heat of the sun. Uh, but it was still, uh, as I've told you, these are the dog days. It really, July 31 to tomorrow are the dog days. Think about this. You go from the Super Bowl to July 31 and never wear pads. When you're in shells and helmets, and then you go in pads, and you're in a six of eight practices in pads, eight of 12. You're never in pads that uh, often the rest of the year. So it's just a peculiar time. And coach pushes these guys, and they've handled it so far. No injuries other than the ones we've already had. So, yeah, really good day. Good day's work. The conversation continues about Chris Jones. Uh, yesterday we heard from Brett Veach mentioning that there will be no trade, that they do not have any intention of trading away their star defensive tackle. The numbers are stark compared to when he is out there uh, in comparison to when he is not What's the latest you're hearing on that front as the holdout continues for Chris Jones? I just remember asking a girl out from a neighboring town who was really neat, attractive, and I just looked at the window thinking, when's this going to happen? And uh, so that's where I'm at right now with Chris Jones. I just look at the driveway thinking he'll pull in at any time. No clue, no idea, no indication. Um, Everything that Brett has said, like, this is different than the Tyreek situation, so I just expect him, hope he will come in at any time. You cannot replicate camp. It's tough to miss camp. It's tough to take Matt McMullen, our senior team reporter, and I and people a lot of you follow uh, in Iowa. They follow either our Defending the Kingdom podcast or our live streams or when we're doing programming for all these months of the off season. You cannot skip camp. It's hard to do it, and there's always a on-ramp time that the longer he misses, the longer that on-ramp time will be closer to the regular season. So um, I'm just waiting for him to drive in at any time. Let, let's hope it happens. You know, how much of this is also, you know, we saw throughout the summer and about, uh, what, two, three weeks leading into camp, running backs trying to come together and say, hey, we deserve a little bit more. But defensive tackles this offseason, we know Aaron Donald, he's been paid for a number of years, but Jeffrey Simmons and Quinn and Williams and Darren Payne, all these guys all cashed in at the defensive tackle position. Does that probably have something to do with this as well? Uh, a little bit. I think it's more the Aaron Donald factor. Mm. And people think he set the market. No, he didn't. It's a bad deal. Um, and I love Aaron Donald. He's an awesome player, but you can't do a, I love to talk about Papa John's pizza with you guys, right? Mm-hmm. If Tom Donaldson and Matt Donaldson have a $400 pizza and somebody buys it, that doesn't mean the next person's going to buy a $400 pizza, right? It's thirteen ninety nine for the epic garlic crust. So it's the chiefs have won and they won consistently by do, being prudent. 
and being prudent in these deals. And the salary cap's very real in this league, and that's why it's hard to win consistently. It's also why people are so intrigued with this league. So you, you just have to be smart about it. You, he's, you also saw uh, Brett's quote of he deserves a good contract. He was the best defensive player in this league last year. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you give him two continents, right, and go, hey, I think the world's going to be better. So uh, it's just a matter of being prudent. You know, the other thing, my really my thesis point this week, Trent, is on the second-year guys. Yep. And this is – so this, this, this segues into this discussion because when you have Patrick Mahomes on the second year of his – or the second contract of his career, we've seen it now with Jalen Hurts getting a deal, Lamar Jackson gets a deal, right, and, and uh, Josh Allen. But when you do that and Patrick is 20 – at least 20% of your salary cap, you've got to find players – that aren't costing you $25 million a year. And for this first-year group to the second year, to me, it is the highlight of this camp. Because you're going, how are those guys going to do as a backup? And they have, all of them, all of them are moving in the right direction. Nobody's backing up. And to me, leading the way on that is Karloftis. But right behind him is Sky Moore. Now, Sky had 250 yards receiving last year. He drops a punt against the Colts that you could argue cost the Chiefs one of their three losses. He dropped another punt against San Francisco. Drops another punt. It, but he returns the punt in the AFC Championship game for 29 yards. Puts the Chiefs in a position to win that game. Then he get, had no touchdowns the whole season. He gets one in Super Bowl 57. And sometimes, I've only been in this league for 30 years, but I'll be honest with you, Trent, there will be times a moment, a play, a game, a half, will completely change a player's career. And for Sky Moore... Those two plays, the punt turn against Cincinnati and the touchdown against Philadelphia in Super Bowl 57, seemingly have made this dude a different cat. Really has, and now going through training camp, reading the reports, hearing people down there, listening to you and talking with you every single day. Uh, there's a big belief, isn't there, that there's going to be ascension out of Sky Moore this year? There is, and I don't know if you got the cut from it. I do, yep. Uh, but I ask, yeah, let's, let's, do, let's listen to that, because I ask him, it seems like you're different. Did those plays make you different? Man, it helped my my confidence tremendously. You know, leading into this season, a good, I was on a good roll, and I just wanted to try my best to carry it into this season. And what about your training regimen? Because it looks like you're stronger this year, especially lower body. Yeah, uh, I really just got on the field, got out on the field more, and got to running a little bit more. Me and Justin locked in, got with our receiver trainer, and and really did a lot of field work this year versus you know the the usual the usual traditional college lifting and running. We got and got real technical on the field this year. And what about all the stuff they they want you to do? I mean, it's exciting. You're everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm loving it. You know, I'm soaking it all in. I'm I'm more comfortable in the offense, so it allows me to just be me and show my ability. Here's what's going on with Sky Moore. We lose Juju Smith-Schuster, right, to the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And last year, 900 yards receiving. Not a lot of touchdowns, but he was a chain mover. Big third down catches. He was a nice compliment to Kelsey. Uh, we lose McCole Hardman. He's now a Jet. Runs a 4-2-5. Sky Moore runs a 4-4. Sky Moore's not Juju Smith-Schuster. He's not McCole Hardman. He's a combination of the two. And Right now, he is highly productive in this offense. I always warn people, don't take uh, Chiefs wide receivers in fantasy because one week somebody might blow up and another one you won't see him again for three weeks. I would think about Sky Moore later in your fantasy rounds because I think he's going to get a lot of touches and I think he's going to get some touchdowns. The comp here is Julian Edelman. Both played in the MAC, right? Edelman played yeah. at Kent State and uh, Sky played at Western Michigan. Both were high school quarterbacks. 
He's got a similar body to Edelman. He could, could, could get to the same kind of productivity. Sophomores has been the name of the game this week. Second-year players, including Sky Moore and yesterday George Karlaftis. Who's up in the spotlight next for us, Mitch? The guy that I think will make the biggest impact other than these two guys, and that's Trent McDuffie tomorrow, and I'll tell you why. That's tomorrow. Looking forward to that one, the first-round draft pick from a year ago. Well, you're busy. Lunch sometimes can be difficult when you're busy, but you always are just a phone call away from Papa John's. And Matt Donaldson and Tom Donaldson's pizzas all throughout Iowa are not $400. They're only thirteen ninety nine <laughs> for this large, epic garlic crust. Lunch, dinner, breakfast, supper, snack, uh, call them. They're awesome. And you know what they do for uh, either JDRF or they've done stuff uh, for all kinds of benevolent causes in Iowa. So they're awesome. Appreciate it. Mitch, we'll talk to you again tomorrow here at 1150. Thanks, as always, for your time. Thanks, brother. Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, joining us as he does all through training camp here on Miller & Condon, brought to you by Papa John's of Iowa. You know, we haven't got real deep into Kansas City, at least as it looks from the outside perspective, away from Mitch's perspective. Yes, you have the stars. You start with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and we'll see if Chris Jones is a part of that coming up this season. You think ultimately that is going to be the pace. What we case we saw you know, Justin Reed really make a step forward. We'll talk about Trent McDuffie on and on and on. My concern, and one of the questions I still have in the long list of questions that we come up with every year, is the tackle spot and also the depth of the tackle spot. Their interior of their offensive line as good as anybody in football. With Trey Smith and Thune on the uh, sides and then in the middle with Creed Humphrey, you know they're set in the middle. My question still is about outside, the tackle and the depth at the tackle positions. That'll be another one we'll be tackling. If you're looking to poke a hole and it's difficult on Kansas City, that is one of them. One hour down, one more to go here on Miller and Condon. We kick it off talking Hawkeyes next. David Eichold from 24-7 Sports. He will stop in, followed up by Tommy Birch. We'll talk baseball before my picks of the day presented by Circa Sports. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO.